0: Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f- gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.
1: Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. I received a lesson from Tyler Drogan out of San Francisco. Here's how it reads. My name is Tyler. I've listened to your podcast and thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for putting it out there and inspiring us. I have a few questions that I was hoping you might be able to answer. I've done a very small amount of sailing in the San Francisco Bay and have fallen in love with it and want to learn more. Some friends of mine and I are in the process of planning a trip to Greece this summer in order to sail for about a month and a half. We are all in our 20s and all beginners. We are looking into cost-effective yet safe ways to go about this. We are also keen to use this as a great learning experience for future trips. Some ideas we had. 1. Take some sailing lessons beforehand and rent a boat with a skipper. 2. Take additional sailing lessons beforehand and rent only a boat and crew it ourselves. 3. Take no sailing lessons and see if we can rent a boat and a skipper. And learn, get education as we sail with the hopes that we could get some ASA or RYA certifications out of it. Some issues we are unclear of. If we rent a boat with a skipper, what level of ASA or RYA equivalent certification do we need, if any? Well, let me answer that question. If you rent a boat with a skipper in Greece, the skipper is going to have the certifications required for the country of Greece. So you do not need to have any certifications if you rent a boat with a skipper that's qualified. And no charter company is going to put a skipper on a boat that's not qualified to sail the boat. Okay, number two. What level of certification, ASA or RYA, do we need to rent a boat on our own with no skipper? You need the ASA 104, and I'm not sure what the Royal Yacht Association equivalent is, but there's an equivalent for the RYA. Since you're in the United States, you're going to get an ASA certification. You have to, first of all, pass the ASA 101, then the ASA 103, and then the ASA 104, and you have to do those in order. The ASA 101 and 103 are prerequisites to pass to ASA 104. Now when I started sailing, these didn't even exist, but nowadays most charter companies require an ASA 104 or the RYA equivalent. So that's a lot of work to, uh, to prepare for ahead of time. Now you can get these certifications by an intensive one-week course. Uh, but it's not cheap, so you're gonna have to spend some money to do that. 3. Are there options out there that include skipper, boat, and lesson certifications? Yes, there are. Uh, There's a couple companies in Corfu that offer this. So you just need to do your homework, so they're out there. Lastly, if you have any ideas or suggestions on the best cost-effective way to go about this, we would love to hear from them. We would love to hear them. Thank you very much, or any help you may be able to offer. And again, thank you for putting together your podcast. Sincerely, Tyler. So Tyler, I've answered your specific questions, but let's get back to what you're thinking of doing. It's not going to be cheap to charter a boat in the Mediterranean in the summer for a month and a half. Now, I did run across a couple on a boat. I think it was like a Juno or Jeannot, or however you pronounce that, uh, 36 or 38 They had chartered the boat, and I asked them how much it cost them. They had the boat for two months, and that charter cost them $7,000. That's by far the least expensive charter I have seen for that period of time. You're usually going to be in the neighborhood of probably a couple thousand dollars a week for various boats. And that's probably going to be around the low end of the range that you're going to be able to charter a boat for from, oh, let's say a Sunsail or a uh, Moorings, which now are the same company. So you're going to have to get online and get a hold of the charter companies and find out what their requirements are. A lot of charter companies will take you out and give you lessons and prepare you to charter the boat. Greece is going to be a little more difficult. You said Greece, but you may want to consider Turkey as well. It may be less expensive to charter in Turkey. Greece seems to be pretty much controlled by the mega charter companies, the big, big charter companies. But Turkey has a lot of smaller yacht charter companies up and down the coast. And if you're going to go study for the ASA 101, 103, or 104 series of lessons and you want to try to learn audibly for the written portion of the exam, why don't you take a look at my audio courses that I have available. I have audio courses for each one of those certifications. Now, it's not going to teach you to sail. You've got to get some on-the-water time, and you're in San Francisco Bay. Get out there to some of the yacht clubs and just walk up to people and ask them if you can crew on their boats. You should be able to find boats to get on. I I was at an annual meeting for the club that I belong to last Saturday, and one of the members is a member of the St. Francis Yacht Club, and he has a 40-some-odd-foot boat And he asked me to come down there and go sailing. So he's looking for people to go sailing with. I'm not going to give you his name. You're going to have to go find your own people. But that's uh, that's what I suggest. So I hope I've answered your question. And with that out of the way and my advertisement out of the way, by the way, those lessons are available at MedSailor.com. Let's get on to the main body of this podcast. And that's an interview with Bruce Schwab, who runs a company called Ocean Planet Energy Incorporated. Well, I just have to apologize for the audio quality of this interview. I, my side was, was well, but it sounds to me during this interview that Bruce was busy unpacking packages. And you can, you can hear the, a lot of background noise of, of uh, the unpacking that he was doing at the time. I don't think he realized that it was coming through so strongly on the interview. But be that as it may, I hope you find this an enjoyable interview. I'm talking to Bruce Schwab of Ocean Planet Energy Incorporated. I'm looking at your website, and it looks like you cover a lot of areas for marine electronics and uh, power. Tell us about your website, what you do, and who your customers are.
0: Well, uh far as the background on me, is probably just as good as what the website's about, is that I am a lifetime sailor and... Uh, Former around the world racer. I like to tell people I'm a recovering ocean solo ocean racer. I did the Vendee Globe and the Round Alone races. So I've sailed around the world twice solo. Um, so I should have my head examined, but along the way I became sort of an energy geek and uh, have a specifically to marine, mostly marine applications. So the website you know, is covering the products that we do, which are almost all. For marine charging via solar energy storage battery systems and other charging sources like alternators and pulley kits and monitoring systems, all with uh, all having to do with your energy systems on uh, mostly on boats. We do some RV stuff and we're probably branching into some off-grid, you know, land-based applications too. You know, we do some special projects, but mostly boats. So do you do the installations or do you just sell the products? We have done some some installations but usually we're in the background behind installers. Our our biggest client base are boatyards and installers. You know, we're the product reps and support to back them up to make it easier for them. And so we do a fair amount of retail sales, but we don't want to compete against our other our wholesale clients, right? So, you know, we wouldn't want to compete against our local boatyards here that, uh,
1: do mostly installations for us. So the boatyards buy from you at a, at a wholesale price and market up to the customers at a retail price. Is that what's going on? Correct. Most of the products we sell, you know, if you're talking about a lithium battery
0: system or even solar panels, there's some wiring and there's some installation work to do. Some clients are capable of doing that themselves, but most folks are too busy doing other things and, uh, we just as soon get a marine professional to do that stuff, especially if it's a lithium battery or some high electronics, it's good to have electrical experience. So I wouldn't say all of but you know, many or most of the products we sell are professionally installed. Um, it's not rocket science, but it's, uh, not everyone has the time to, to figure out the fuse sizes and wire sizes and, you know, all the terminals they need to have and have all the tools to, to put this stuff in
1: talk to me about lithium batteries who is buying lithium batteries for their boats is it high level i mean high high cost expensive big boats or are smaller boats using lithium batteries in fact i've never seen i've never seen lithium batteries in a sailboat so that's that's new to me
0: usually bigger bigger boats that have higher loads you know uh it saves a lot of weight. And so some people think that lithium is just for racers, racing boats, where weight is critical. However, most racing boats don't have any loads. So they don't have many, much battery capacity anyway. They're just running instruments. You know, there's someone always driving. So high performance cruisers, are a lot... in any time you have a lot of load or you have to recharge your batteries from something, uh, lithium is an advantage because you can recharge them faster. Than with lead batteries. And they don't require, and more efficiently fuel wise. Now, to do a little generalization, any boat that could add enough solar power or renewable sources to cover their loads so the batteries can get fully charged fairly often are usually happy with lead because lead batteries last a, a long time if they get fully charged often enough. But if you're in a situation where you just don't have enough renewables to do that and you have to use fuel to replenish your energy use, then lithium is, is what people look at because they can do it faster and not have to run their generator or their engines or shore power. Whatever it is their charging source is, it doesn't have to run as long.
1: What are the specific prices on various sizes of lithium batteries?
0: If you take the most expensive or high-end AGMs, which are usually comparable, if you look at uh, you know, North Star or Odyssey, or the Firefly, you know, high-end AGM prices, uh, a, a full-on, now there's lots of different lithium systems, you know, there's, there's a little do-it-yourself stuff, there's, you know, Chinese cells you can get, but any of the real comprehensive brands where it's a, uh, you know, whether it's a R R Systems, or what should we call OPE-LI3, Ocean Planet Energy, um, or Victron, you know, any of those systems are probably four to five times the price of an AGM system, AGM batteries. So they're a lot more money, but then you get down to about a quarter of the weight. So there's a big difference in weight, and you can often downsize the capacity so it doesn't wind up needing to be that much more money because you can use a smaller, a smaller bank overall. As far as the rate of capacity, because you can use more of the lithium capacity without um, affecting the cycle life as much. If you're familiar with that term, cycle life, that's a um, what that means is the typical expected number of discharges you could get out of a set of batteries. And with lead, if you do deep discharges it uh, shortens their life. And so most people are always trying to limit the discharge depth to around 50% traditionally with lead batteries. So that means you need a bank that's at least twice the size of what your your, energy you typically take out of it. With lithium, you can discharge them to 80%, no problem. So you can get away with a smaller bank. So so sometimes they're not as, they're not four or five times as much, but they easily can be, um, you know, if you try and depending on what people do for the system. So it's usually it's, uh, it's high-performance catamarans are a big target market because these bigger catamarans are high-performance boats, and they've, they've spent a lot of money to save weight, right? You know, like a gunboat catamaran or Chris White Atlantic catamaran or any number of other brands out there. Weight's a big factor in their performance, and they've already spent a good chunk of dough to, uh, to build a boat out of carbon, or, you know, high-tech materials to get the weight out, and then they need air conditioning to keep their family happy. And they find out that they either have to run a generator all the time, which is heavy, or uh, or have a huge bank of batteries to be able to run, you know, air conditioning or other loads, high loads, off the batteries for a period of time. And the weight of those batteries to support that is enormous if they're lead. So, you know, they can they can add amenities. And support them with lithium batteries without ruining the performance
1: of the boat. If that makes sense, will they last uh, four times longer, or is it mainly the weight savings that you're looking for? No, they will last. They will last uh, a lot
0: longer. Yes, that is that is a, a good rough figure, like four times. In fact, you can do depending how you add up the numbers, um, a, for the, over the life of the system, uh, AGM. I mean, lithium batteries can actually be less expensive than top-end AGM batteries because the life cycles are so much more and uh, the fuel, there's considerable fuel savings and engine run times and reduced engine or generator hours which, is, which causes the, shortens the lifespan of your, of your charging sources. So by reducing those hours you can save on those as well.
1: So do you manufacture your own I mean I know you don't manufacture the actual cells but do you manufacture these batteries or do you th- buy them from another company?
0: We have uh, – we, we've marketed Jenison for many years. We're the master distributor for Genison, which are made in the U.S. Um, Genison has moved on to expand their solar controller business, so we've taken uh, the tech, some of the technology ideas and things that we had planned, and we're now working with Lithionics, who makes a system to our specifications from what we've learned of years of uh, being in the market with the Genison systems and in uh, our own experience and feedback from builders, installers, and users. So we're really excited about the new system that we have. It's, it's the first plug and play dual bus uh, lithium battery system uh, ever. And uh, we could probably, uh, most people won't know what I mean when I say dual bus or dual channel system, but that is uh, a feature that's valuable with, with lithium. Do you want to explain that because I don't understand it? Sure. What that means is that typically if you look at your battery bank, it's a single bus system or single channel system where all the red wires, all the positives, um, whether it's a charge source or whether it's a load, they're all connected together somewhere on the bus bar. Essentially, they all have a direct connection to the battery. Right. Whatever it is, a charge bus or load. What we do with lithium is we separate – the sources from the loads, and we have two separate bus bars or attachment areas that uh, allows us to separate the sources from the loads. And each has separate access to the battery via uh, a set of relays in the BMS that can cut off the loads to prevent over discharge or the charge to prevent overcharge, but do it separately. And this allows it to operate more elegantly when people push the system to the extremes of of charge or discharge. And it's important to note that a good lithium battery system has a feature that most lead systems don't have, or nearly all lead systems don't have. And that is, it has the ability to cut itself off and protect itself from overcharge over discharge. It won't let you ruin the battery, which is good because it costs a lot of money. And, you know, people, you know, things happen, charge sources may lose their programming, things go wrong. But the battery will protect itself to prevent anything really bad from happening to it. But because of that capability for a battery to cut itself off, imagine if you're running your your engine and the alternator is running and it's charging the battery. But let's say the regulator is messed up uh, or it's lost its programming or perhaps the batteries were just discharged for a long period of time or slightly out of balance and need to prevent any cells from getting too high while it balances – if the battery cut itself off on a single bus system, then the alternator is suddenly connected only to the loads without the battery as a buffer, and there's no way the alternator regulator can react fast enough to prevent a big voltage spike. You have all that energy coming out of the alternator. It's like trying to you know, runs into a wall, and you'll get a big voltage spike if on the loads and blow up a lot of your electronics. And uh, this has happened on lithium systems. There are single bus systems, uh, you know, even with some pretty good brands. They have different methods of controlling everything, you know, like some other, you know, quite good systems, like a MasterVolt system. They use a single bus um, and count upon their CAN bus control network to, uh, to control the charge sources. But if for any reason that doesn't work, um, <clears throat> like alternator regular and work, or something happens, then they might have a problem, and that has actually happened on some boats where they've had electronics get fried. So, but the dual bus system, by separating those charges from the loads, you're not only protecting the battery, you're protecting all your loads from any errant charge sources. So that's so it's it's basically just separating separating into two
1: separate channels that are individually controlled. That's what dual channel means. Okay, so I've got a couple lithium batteries for an electric bike. That I've been working on. And and my understanding is these safety factors that you're talking about are not inherent in most lithium batteries. So do you have something, some sort of a circuit inside your batteries that does this?
0: Yes. Well, external to the battery, or, or it can be internal too. We can build them either way. Um, there's uh imagine just you know the red wire, the positive wire coming out of the battery that has direct access to the to the cells inside. Um, with, lith- with a with a protected lithium system that passes through, uh, you know, some relays that are controlled by a central processor of some kind. It's it's different. You may have protection in your even your bike battery that's based on voltage. it resistor a certain voltage. It'll, it'll cut off. It'll just stop running. Like even your electric drill motor. Well, sudden will be, if you use it, you notice know, with lithium sometimes, It'll just stop. Boom you know it isn't like it tapers off and gets weaker and weaker it just stops so that's a voltage based cutoff so there's usually some sort of cutoff with every kind of lithium system but to varying degrees the systems we have on on our marine systems are much more advanced um where you have uh double different levels of cutoff we have a first cutoff and there's a reserve available uh a capacity you can access by pressing a reset button um it's much more uh complex and uh to be used specifically for marine house banks. Our systems are designed for, you know, really for that optimized for marine applications. All, it's all the electronics are in a watertight box. Uh, the electrical wiring connections are simpler with little O rings that prevent water damage to the plugs. Uh, you know, we all know that the marine environment is not the best one in the world for electronics. So by uh, protecting all that stuff, it makes them for more robust and safe system, and protection against both overcharge, over-discharge, and uh, and allowing you to have reserve capacity you can need to access in case of an emergency.
1: Do these batteries, do the lithium batteries, uh, handle wide swings in temperature? And how, how well do they store? For instance, I'll sail in my boat for two or three months a year and then leave it on the hard with the batteries disconnected the rest of the time. How, how do they handle that?
0: Well, they, their self discharge rate is lower than lead by quite a bit. Or lead has a self discharge, where if you're not using it, they are they're losing capacity, and you know they can maybe make it through that one winter, but you know it's not the best thing for them. They usually like to get charged more often. Where lithium doesn't discharge as much. Now, if they haven't been used for a long time, it's a good idea to charge them up uh, and and let the BMS, if they do any balancing that might be necessary, balancing any cells if it hasn't been charged for a long time. Now, here's an interesting feature that's about lithium compared to lead. As we just mentioned, if you're going to store a lead battery, you want to leave it fully charged so that it can self-discharge and not wind up over discharge, especially if it's going to get cold, like stored somewhere, where it might freeze. You know, Most bat- lead batteries, if they're discharged, the electrolyte turns to water, because the sulfation's coming out and it's onto the plates. And if you freeze it in that state, you can ruin it. So if it's charged up, the the electrolyte won't freeze. So you leave them fully charged. Now, with a lithium battery, you could leave it fully charged as well, but it turns out that lithium, if they're stored, if they're not being used, not being cycled, if they're stored at a full charge, it actually will detract a little bit from their capacity over time. So if you're going to store it for a long period of time, you're actually better to discharge it. To say 40 or 50 percent and let it sit like that, which you would never do with a lead with most lead batteries. And uh, that way, um, there's less uh, electrical potential in the battery, which is what slowly, if it's sitting fully charged over over a calendar period of time, you know, not as far as cycle life goes, just sitting around. So it's a feature that uh, a lot of people don't know about lithium. So it, it uh, makes it so if you're going to store it let uh, our lithium system has a button. You just push, turn the whole system off. You don't have to unhook anything. You know, like with lead battery, usually disconnect it. But uh, you can just push a button. It opens the relays in the in the BMS module. It's, it's
1: completely isolated and disconnected and safe to store. So how, so these are about a quarter of the weight of a lead uh, uh, AGM battery.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, all AGM batteries are lead batteries. They just they have... Uh, to absorb glass mat to contain the electrolyte. But uh, AGM, gel, flooded, they're all uh, lead, so they're all about the similar weight for a given capacity. And uh, lithium battery really is about a third of the weight for the same rated capacity, but you can get down to a quarter of the weight for the, for the same usable capacity, or sometimes even less, depending on the, the electrical loads involved. Because a lithium battery uh, is, what we say, stiffer, and that the voltage doesn't sag under high rates of discharge, you can uh, discharge it further before the voltage really drops off, which makes under high load applications like electrical p- propulsion or uh, driving big inverters, under those kinds of loads, um, you could downsize even more for the same usable capacity just because the voltage doesn't sag. So it depends. When you know your loads, what type of loads you're running, you can determine what is the best capacity system you know, for each application.
1: All right. So we've got, I'm looking at your website, you've got uh, lithium batteries, you've got the Firefly batteries. Tell us how the two compare because Fireflies are also about four times more expensive than the regular AGM batteries.
0: Well, actually they're comparable in price to to you know, other high-end AGMs like uh, Lifeline or Odyssey or you know, that type of AGM battery. Now you can always, there's a lot of different, you know, levels of agm batteries out there you know, if you go buy a west marine uh one that's made for them by someone else you know that's going to be all this expensive but of the high-end brands the fireflies are comparable but when we f- discovered the firefly uh we were pretty excited and we had to vet out the technology because it sounded a little bit too good to be true and in a, not everyone's going to buy lithium as much as as great as we know it is it's just it's it's just not for everyone expensive expense wise. And uh, you know, setting up the systems isn't you know for your average boat may not be the way to go. With the, and the limitations of lead are that they hate to be run in partial state of charge for an extended period of time. Whether it's gel, flooded, or AGM, if you don't charge it all the way up often enough, the sulfation that gets on the plates where the discharge can get stuck. And that's when you hear the term sulfation. It can form hard crystals that won't come off of the negative plates in the battery. And they permanently will lose capacity. You can't recover. um, You know, equalization when flooded can help, you know, to basically they burn off the sulfation uh, by overcharging, controlled overcharging. Um, But even that won't always save it. The Firefly batteries have this carbon foam material that they've patented that goes on the negative plates. They can use it on the positive ones, too, but there's that prevents the sulfation from getting a permanent toehold when the battery is discharged, and you can leave them discharged for long periods of time without getting the permanent sulfation damage or run it in partial state of charge operation. And this has been tested... By a number of different sources, we got someone, Nigel Calder's boat, the electrical systems writer who's pretty well known, and uh, another fellow here in, in Maine did a, uh, a series of tests for Practical Sailor magazine, uh, where he a controlled test where he tested most of the top AGM batteries and uh, ran them in partial state of charge, where you'd run them down to say 11.7, like a normal low discharged, you know, not really discharged, but a usable state, charge it for one hour at like 0.4C, which is like, uh, let's say it's a 100-amp-hour battery, charge it at 40 amps, um, which would, if it was a 200-amp-hour battery, that would be like 80 amps. So he so tried to make a real-world application of what you would. What he did was uh, try and duplicate what would happen on a typical boat. And he did this 30 cycles. Discharge it, measure the capacity, charge it for one hour, and stop not do a long absorption charge, and after uh, the 30 cycles, which is a month or more, each battery was fully charged and discharged, and fully charged again and discharged to measure the capacity compared to what it was when it was new. And every battery lost per- permanently lost capacity. Lifelines lost like you know 15, 20 percent. You know, Decca lost like 30 percent. Odyssey lost like seven percent. Um, I think the 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 top two in the test, aside from Firefly, were Odyssey and uh, the North Star has another formulation where they add some carbon to their uh, negative plates as well, but not they can't violate Firefly's patents. The Firefly actually gained half an amp hour in the, in the test. It, and we thought uh, – well, Rod Collins – because I know uh, the, original, the original inventor of the Firefly technology, what well, was a spinoff of Caterpillar, now lives in Maine. So he was able to be a technical reference for Rod Collins who did the test. And uh, I sort of was in contact with these guys as this, as this happened. And uh, Rod contacted Curtis Kelly, the Firefly inventor, and said, hey, what's, what's with this? there's something wrong with my test? He wanted to know what, what happened. You know, how did – no other battery ever gained – Capacity after the part state I wonder if something's wrong with the test. And Curtis said, actually, we've done some tests over some batteries for the military where they discharged them to zero volts and put a resistor on the terminals and let them sit that way for a month. This, and this would ruin any normal lead battery, right? And then they took a couple – charges and discharge cycles it took like four charge and discharge cycles to open the battery up and they actually gained like five percent of capacity for some reason the sulfation seemed to develop a chemical reaction and conditioned the that carbon foam grid it actually got better from the heavy sulfation and so uh so rod asked uh curtis you know you're kidding you know what would ruin a regular battery actually makes these better and uh, uh, I pointed out that if Curtis was a marketing guy, they would have made a big deal out of that before. But um, that—that—that that is part of what's kind of blown our minds about what these firefly batteries can do is that sulfation that ruins other other batteries—they're pretty impervious to. Now, compared to lithium, they're still lead. They're still heavy. You, know, you can't get around that. And uh, <clears throat> and you can't charge them as fast as lithium. And they still have to take a a taper charge if you're charging a battery and you get to like any lead battery you get up to like you know 80 percent and if you're charging it fast the current has to taper out you know that's that's just the way it is with lead however you can because you don't have to fully charge them you can use what we call the sweet spot in the capacity range where you just say you operate the battery between 30 and 80 percent state of charge where because through that area, there you can charge them very fast, it's just the top part that's that's slow, and uh, you just run it in that sweet spot area and use that as your usable range rather than with typical lead battery. You use you can only use from 100% state of charge to 50% state of charge. But the catch 22 with using that 100% is that top 20% takes forever to top off, and if you don't do it, it'll sulfate. So with these, you can just bounce them in the middle for as long as you want. Every now and then, if you feel like your capacity window is getting a little bit smaller, you do a full charge and discharge to bring them, to open them up again, and
1: uh, you're good to go. So do you think the uh, Firefly Oasis batteries are going to have a long, long life? I mean, what's what's the useful life of that battery then?
0: The cycle life has been really impressive. Uh, if you you try and ask the engineers, you know, what's the cycle life, you know, they, they ask they – they give you a bunch more questions about oh, what do you mean, what depth of discharge? temperature, you know, there's all these different factors in there. But they're staking <clears throat> they – according to the tests and the data that we have seen, it can conservatively last two to three times as long as other high-end AGM batteries. And even longer if they're in applications where they have to run in partial state of charge.
1: Are the Oasis batteries, Firefly Oasis batteries, affected by cold weather? I've heard you don't want to really have, you know, you don't want to have freezing temperatures around any battery. So how do they handle that, and how does the lithium batteries handle that?
0: Lithium batteries, you do need to keep them above freezing to charge them. You could load them below freezing, but then you couldn't charge it back up. So,
1: But, but you, could, you can store them below freezing without any You can store
0: them below freezing. You just can't charge them. So um, that does turn into, a, in some applications, that can turn into a problem. Um, we know that Jenison did a, a large number of Arctic applications with their batteries where they have a, there's a, an extra circuit on the BMS to drive a heater. And they put them in insulated boxes and the battery just kept itself warm. When it got too cold, they would just turn the heat on for a little bit, keep itself at a operable temperature. And they had enough, they worked that into the equation of the solar, they were supporting these uh, research facilities with solar and they had worked into the solar capacity, you know, enough energy for the battery to, to keep itself warm in this insulated box and it was fine. Um, with lead, uh, as long as you don't freeze them when they're discharged, um, they're okay. The capacity does go down. All batteries, lithium, lead. I don't know of any battery where the capacity doesn't go down when it's very cold.
1: Now, but that's that's the capacity at the cold temperature, but not necessarily when it warms back up again.
0: Oh, correct. Yeah, they they're all come back to life. Should come back to life just fine when uh, when they warm back up.
1: So, are are either these batteries available overseas yet? The lithium batteries or the Firefly batteries?
0: Well, we, we can ship them anywhere in the world. We've shipped lithium batteries all over the world for many years. So that's uh, – it's – in a way, it's <clears> – <throat> well, there's, there's a good and bad thing about shipping lithium. They're lighter, so it's not as much weight. But uh, because they're lithium and because everyone's scared when they hear the word lithium, the airlines don't allow you to fly lithium batteries over a certain size. And typically, a, a marine house bank is too big to fly. You know they they just don't allow that, so they have to go by sea. So it can be slow, but we do ship them all over the world. The, the lead batteries, um, same story. They're just very heavy. So yes, we can get them everywhere. I think we shipped them to Scotland
1: for an um by air, but it was it wasn't it wasn't cheap. All right, let's talk about some of the other things that you you cover at least on your website. Hydrogenerators. I was looking at that and I thought, well, that's interesting because when i sailed across the atlantic i've told this story before i dragged a um a, a propeller behind my boat that was attached to a uh, a generator that was supposed to generate electricity and it didn't work it worked about 2 days and then the the line fell off so it was a real waste of time so uh, i I've, I've, everybody thinks that that's the ultimate way to you know to keep your energy levels up on on a long ocean passage talk to us about what you're doing with hydro generators
0: well that's a product called Watt and C that you've seen there which uh looks looks for all the world like a little electric outboard motor so if you don't see the motor part you just you see a blade and a propeller at the bottom of it uh it looks like a like a rudder a very streamlined little rudder boat it has this little uh unit at the bottom of it um and when I, when I show them what the boat shows I can't tell you how many people walk up to them and go, "Hey, how fast will this push my little boat?" You know. <laughs> so, well, it won't push it at all. It's a generator. It so it generates energy very efficiently. It's a propeller. You know, imagine if you did have uh, a little electric unit used for regeneration, you'd want the propeller to face the other way, right, for generating than you would for for, for driving. You know, the, the way the blade would be shaped would be slightly different. So they're optimized mm-hmm. for that. The shape of the propellers optimized. For for generating and they're they're quite efficient. The amount of drag that they are for the amount of energy that you get is is very good. In fact, virtually all of the round the world race boats nowadays use them that for shorthanded racing. The amoka 60s and if they're in the Vendee Globe or you know big transatlantic race, that's their primary energy source now is these hydro generators. So and those are lightweight racing boats. So they think it's the the light weight of that is is faster than carrying the fuel that it would take to replace it. So the drag
1: is, uh, it pays for itself in energy, even with the extra drag. And you've got these in 300, 600, uh, it's the 300, 600 watt units. At mm-hmm. what speed are they calculating the wattage? Well, it's a
0: curve. And you'd have to look at the the diagram That's the maximum each one will produce, um, and there's different size propellers available for each one as well. So if you have a, you know, not a, a moderate speed monohull with a typical heavy cruiser that's where seven knots is really honking, then you'd probably want the 280 millimeter propellers to develop charging at a little bit lower speed. And if you're on a pretty fast catamaran where you don't want the drag, then you might go with the stock 240 or even the the fast 200 millimeter. Now, that's for cruisers. So the cruiser could select either 300 or 600, you know, the 300 is less expensive. And they select the the appropriate prop size for their boat. So some choices to make there. Now, on a high-performance race boat, a really fast boat, they also sell a unit where the, the prop blades are feathering. And they're controlled by a little... Uh, by the converter and a little hydraulic pump that will feather the prop blades to, when you go fast, it'll reduce the pitch so that there's not extra drag. So a uh, the racing boats use those so that when when you pick up speed, it only adds enough drag to produce the energy that the unit's rated for. Right? You don't want to overload the converter. It has that reduce the drag cell, adjust the propeller blades to keep the surf of five knots.
1: Talk to me about the different solar panels and solar power options that you have. Well,
0: what we specialize in are the thin, high-power solar panels. It's sort of a technology It's only been around for about five or six years, where high-power solar cells are laminated into a polymer without a metal backing or a glass face. They have uh, thin sheets in front and behind of uh, this very, very stiff plastic or polymer. And uh, you can actually sew through the edges of that. So these, these panels, it used to be a flexible panel was, was uh, an option, but they're very low power. They used what they called amorphous cells. And you can still get amorphous cell panels, but they're maybe 20 to 25% of the power of a, of a typical high power panel these these panels can be made these new ones can be are made with uh, different grades of cells but the ones we sell the most of are using sun power back contact high power cells which are the highest efficiency cellular cells you can get for any panel so they're the light and thin and super high power and you can sew through the perimeter the the polymer to add velcro or zippers to the edges of them so most of these are going onto canvas dodgers and biminis without any extra mounting hardware to support a, heavy, a typical heavy glass panel it used to be if you wanted a solar panel on your bimini or dodger you had to for, for one thing you had to make the whole structure strong enough to hold the extra weight because there's a lot of weight up there a glass panel um, and a bunch of hardware and fittings to clamp onto the support bars to get the whole thing to go. But now these ones can go directly into the canvas with zippers or Velcro around the edges. The Velcro is becoming the most popular. It's very secure and doesn't add, you know, almost no weight and uh, and considerable power. So we have many boats now that are covering the refrigeration loads, all their lighting. And basic charging, and maybe even occasional uh, high AC, uh, IC, AC loads like uh, microwave and stuff like that, um, all with solar. And uh, the, I think that the combination of more efficient DC refrigeration, when you talk about uh, brands like uh, uh, Frigia Boat and Sea Frost, you know those well, have become much more efficient now. You, you used to have to have a compressor on your engine, right, to run to to run the freezer. But now these little DC motors that draw almost no power, only a few amps, and don't run all the time. So the combination of more efficient DC refrigeration and this high-power solar has allowed many cruisers to run everything off solar um, and not have to take the food off the boat you know, for the
1: week. So right. how flexible are, are they? Could I roll it up and put it in a no, tube? No,
0: it's a good question because uh, we like to use the term semi-flexible for that very same reason. If you were holding the solar cells in your hands that are laminated into the panel and you flexed it very far with your fingers, you, you would crack it, right? So they can only bend so much. So uh, these like to be limited to a radius of, say, 1.5 meters or so. So you can mount it on a curved surface, and you can put it on decks. We can get them with non-skid surfaces. Uh, we sell uh, uh, different types of thin panels. Now, keep in mind I mentioned the polymer ones. We also sell uh, thin panels with a thin metal backing with a non-skid surface that are great for installing on decks. There's a, so it's like different panel materials for different applications with these thin ones so we can mount very durable panels for walking on a uh, non-skid surface or ones that are light to go on canvas they're sort of different horses for different courses
1: so i'm looking at the picture yeah it looks like it goes right over a spray dodger you could settle it right onto the top of a spray dodger what dimensions oh, do they typically come in or many
0: they're... many sizes uh in fact it's hard for me to keep track of them all now uh we and we get them custom made too. And in spite of all the sizes if might, on the website, uh, if you look at all those Solbian, Gioco, and other sizes we have there, and, uh, and then the Solar and the Rinco walk-on ones, um, we've I just right now as I'm speaking to you, I just I'm just unpacked a couple of custom-made panels made by Solbian in Italy for um, main. Yacht Center, who does some installations for us right here in Maine, Some uh, they have four custom panels of different shapes and sizes. Uh, uh, two of them are 50-watt ones with a non-skid surface uh, with adhesive on the back for a deck with a junction box at the corner so these are made mirror image to each other so these two will look nice next to each other on the boat. You know, we get all kinds of applications and questions for custom custom projects. Um, that's, that's, you know, part of our our business, too, is just tailoring, aside from just stock products, we, you know, put together custom applications for different boats. And that's fun, too. I mean, we really, you know, when you get to provide, you know, a great big two kilowatt system that's going on a catamaran uh, and, uh, you know, lithium batteries and the whole setup, it's, it's pretty amazing uh, what these boats can do now compared to, you know, even a decade ago.
1: You couldn't have that kind of energy system running off renewables so it's, you um, got, you got two types of flexible ones. you got the Goco, is that how you pronounce it, Goico? Gio Gioco. Gioco and Solbian. Solbian. And what's the difference Solbian, between two? The,
0: so they're very similar. The Solbian uh, has been around longer. Um, they're actually both made in the same town in Italy. Um, so Solbian is the bigger company, the more established brand, and uh, I think sometimes it's a step ahead in materials development, um, Gioco's chasing along. And so we, we stock a few Giocos uh, in some sizes where maybe Solbian doesn't have one and, and just to keep our whole, all the possible size windows full and uh, some crossover between the two brands. Uh, and with some testing we've done between similar rated panels, the Solbians have had a tendency to to test out higher than the Gioco. we're not sure why. But uh, we'll, we we do lots of testing with all our products to, to uh, uh, you know, keep a, our own assessment of the quality and stuff that's going on. And uh, we have a lot of stuff that we eventually like to put on the website about information and testing results, but uh, we're still working on all that.
1: So you also have alternators. Uh, do you have anything special there, or is it the, the typical Balmar oper- uh, alternators or – Are they unique?
0: Yeah, what's unique about we – because charging lithium batteries is quite hard on alternators because they don't have that taper at the top. Usually when you charge a lead battery, um, you only have to – an alternator only has to dish out its full power for a relatively short period of time, and the current starts to taper down because the battery just won't accept the charge that fast, where lithium will just drink it up, which means the alternator has to work harder to produce that energy. So when we first started doing lithium batteries, we discovered that people were burning up their alternators because they couldn't just work that hard. Um, so we had to source and snoop around and did a lot of market research to you know, find out who made the best alternators um, that weren't excessively huge and heavy. And uh, these American Power Systems ones that are made in uh, in Iowa have uh, proven to be the most reliable and the best bang for the for weight. Uh, and we've been selling – we also sell – So we, there again, we sell different brands for different applications. We also sell uh, ones made by a friend of ours here in Maine, Mark Grosser who does small case alternators, has a whole line of those and makes custom pulley kits too. We sell a lot of his custom pulley kits for different applications. Often we'll use his custom, a custom pulley kit by him with an American power alternator um, on an on a engine that's going to be charging lithium batteries. One of the cool things uh, that we've done is we make a shortened or have have American Power make for us a shortened version of their J180 case alternator that allows it to fit in the small case position. I mean, when you look at most marine engines, you'll see over on the port side, there's a little alternator there. And the limiting factor between putting a big one there is it, it runs into the heat exchanger that's right behind it for the exhaust. And uh, by making this custom shortened version, we've been able to fit these alternators that can be 250 amps at 12 volts or 160, 180, 24 volts into that small case position with a custom. Obviously, you have to upgrade the belt to drive all that and do a good mounting kit for it. But what this has allowed some high-performance boats to do is get rid of the generators on the boats because if they have lithium batteries, they they can turn their engines into basically high-powered DC generators. And if uh, as long as it's not a really big engine, it can be pretty fuel efficient. Not maybe not as fuel efficient as a small generator, but it can save a lot of weight because they, let's say, uh, <clears throat> I'll give you an example: uh, Gumboat 55 catamaran. Um, rather than add a generator, they just upgraded to these 160 amp, 24 volt alternators on their engines, which are quite small. They're like, I think they're like 35, 37 horsepower, and you know, 10 horsepower will be taken by that alternator in full charging. So. You know, it's reasonably fuel-efficient. It's good for diesels. It's good to load them up to be fuel-efficient. So they wind up saving – by switching to lithium batteries, getting rid of the generator, all the generator, exhaust and plumbing, and by going with these alternators, they save, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds.
1: So do you have systems for specific engines? For instance, a Yanmar 3GM30 diesel engine. Would you have the generators, alternators for that specific or – or do you need yes. to, you do? Yes, okay.
0: well, there would be different, there's options, right? You could put a, you could use a small case, 180 amp Mark Grosser alternator with a remote rectifier, which is one way to keep the alternators cool. It's by moving the rectifier diodes off of it, um, which is a, a brilliant idea. Um, he's not the first one to do that, but he's the first one to use them for the small case ones. And that would use a standard pulley kit, or we could use our 250 amp, American power one, uh, with a, with a little extra mounting, uh, bracket, bracketry to fit in there, but still go in the same spot. So, uh, so yes, different mounting kits, different pulley kits for different alternators. Um, and we select the alternator and the whole kit based upon how much, what batteries they're charging, how much they really need. There's, if you have a small boat, with uh, just a couple lead batteries, there's certainly no point in adding a 250 amp alternator. and right? batteries won't take it, you know. So well, you have to select the right, the right uh, product for the application.
1: But when you typically switch, if you switch out batteries, for instance, the lithium batteries, then you would really want to switch out your alternator, then, right? Yes, it usually. Uh, it's very common to do a package, a whole system upgrade package,
0: um, where in fact this has been a big thing for us. These past uh, year, as more and more high-performance catamarans. have been switching to lithium batteries, high-output alternators, getting rid of the generators, and also adding another product that we haven't talked about yet, which is a fleepy monitoring system, so they can watch all their energy uh, loads and sources on a little color touchscreen and tell what everything's doing. You can look at a little screen and tell what the the port alternator is doing, the starboard alternator is doing, what your solars are doing, what the hydro generator is doing. You can see everything a little color picture and and tell uh monitoring energy that way know what's happening. Then you have electric propulsion. Yes, electric propulsion is something that we really think is is coming. Of course it's been around forever. You could buy an electric power boat, you know, a hundred years ago. Uh, you know, brands like Elko have been around for a long, long time. Um, but the Increase the performance of boats, and the big factor with, the, with electric propulsion is the limited range, right? You just can't get the range out of a battery bank you could ever get out of a fuel tank. It's just, The energy density isn't there. There are many other advantages, though, if you don't have to motor really far, is uh, much much less maintenance. There's no exhaust. There's no oil. There's no, it's clean. It's, there's no noise. Um, and if, you know, it's so much more convenient. Let's say if you're just motoring on and off a mooring a few times a week and you, you don't want to maintain your boat, lose it on the mooring. You could have a reasonable amount of solar panels and, uh, you know, motor for, you know, an hour, couple times a week and never plug in and never have to charge. And uh, I know, uh, in fact, uh, one of the brands that we we sell, we're upgrading the website to senior uh, electroprop. Uh, I know the owner of that company, James Landon. I've been on his boat out in Santa Barbara, California, and he never plugs into the dock. He's got some good solar panels on there. When he goes for a sale, he just undies the lines and away You go. You don't have to warm them up you know, it's instant power. It's easier to, to dock a boat with electric power. You don't have to rope the engine. You know, it's easy to control. So there's lots of advantages to it. And one of the cool things that he did, which I thought was really neat, he had quite a pretty good size solar panels on there, and he could actually um, have a little of control where he could point them at the sun at a big post in the back of the boat. On a good sunny day in flat, you know, pretty smooth water, he was able to run that boat at about three knots – with no net load on the battery, just from the solar panels, is moving along like just right around three knots without use, you know burning up any uh, – using up the battery capacity. Of course, as soon as you put the throttle down, you know your range goes way down. But uh, um, so it's, it's not for everybody, and it is expensive. And if you're going to go far in one electric propulsion, you're going to need to add a generator to replenish the energy, and then you're sort of paying for two systems, right? You're paying – diesel one to charge and the electric one to drive the boat. And, uh, you know, it can get expensive. But some people are going for it. We're we're offering that. We have a number of different systems. You've got Electric Yacht. Um, uh, Electropropos is talking about Oceanvolt, a company in Europe that makes these very, very nice sail drive units um, so you don't have a shaft going out. Um, it's a high-end product with a price tag, you know, that reflects that. But it's a very well refined product. You're seeing those in some gumboat high performance catamarans now, and other high performance boats. Um, one cool thing that today's modern high performance boats has allowed uh, that makes electric propulsion more viable is that they're so good at motor sailing. If you take a, if you took an old heavy, you know, Hans Christian Thirty Eight or something, you, you know, it's uh, It takes a lot of energy to move it and there's no way to get around it. And if you have a few knots of wind from different directions, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help it. But if you take a modern, like say, monohull, like a J boat or a lightweight multi hull, you know, a more modern high performance boat, even with the slightest wind from almost every direction except for dead ahead, if you, you know, put the main sheet in and you add electric power, increases your parent wind, the net load, your range goes way up. And, uh, that combination allows for electric power to be a more viable way to get around for ocean cruisers. Um, cause there's almost always some wind, right? And, uh, and as long as you're willing to accept that you can't motor into a headwind and head seas for very far, you know, for really far, um, you know, you have energy to get yourself out of trouble. You know, anytime you got power to do that, and you got a lot of range if you got light air and you need to use the power. And then the electric systems, the good ones now, have regen. So when they're sailing again, they're recharging their batteries with the propeller, just like, just like the Sea would do
1: it. Well, I think we've pretty much covered everything on your website by now. So tell people how they can get a hold of you and, and what boat shows are you going to be at.
0: Well, we'll be coming up uh, real soon here. Uh, I'm not going to make the Seattle show. We have some friends and some reps out there. But uh, we'll be doing the Main Boat Builder show coming up real soon in March. Um, after that, uh, sometimes we do the <clears throat> the Main Boats Homes and harbor show up in Rockland. We always do Newport. That's a big show. And then usually we're working with uh, one of our Southeast Solbian Distributor, Coastal Climate Control, at the Annapolis Boat Show. So we'll be there as well we may uh, have a rep out in uh, at the Pacific Sail Expo Uh, well we do have our our reps uh, Svenson's Marine is our being distributor for Northern California Um, I may not make it out there personally but they do a great job showing our products there Um, so we'll be around but uh, the best way to contact us is oceanplanetenergy.com or bruceschwab.com they both go to the same place and uh, that's where you see
1: all the stuff you've been looking at there on the website. So do you have a boat, and are you sailing right now? I mean, not right <laughs> now, not not this moment, but do you still sail on your own boat now?
0: I don't sail nearly as much. You know, twice around the world and and uh, 10 Hawaii transatlantic trips and, you know, four transatlantics and the uh, Hawaii trips are trans-Pacifics. Uh, you know, I've had a pretty good fill of it, and I'm enjoying uh, doing this stuff. So uh, I race for clients and sail with clients every now and then. But uh I'm I'm over owning a boat, let's put it that way.
1: Okay. It's always cheaper to sail on somebody else's boat anyway.
0: Yes. Yes. Often and, you can get paid for it too.
1: <laughs> okay. And you're up in Bath, Maine, right?
0: Yes. That's uh where our office is here and where we uh have lots of solar panels and stuff here. We usually don't have the lithium batteries here ourselves because we have those made by lithionics and then, you know, shipped from there. Uh we do have a few uh uh, Firefly batteries here, but we we keep those locally at a local boatyard, uh, and we have distributors, regional distributors around, and uh, in the northwest and California and the southeast. So uh, any of these products, if you can't find out where to get them, we'll let us know and we'll direct you uh, to our representatives uh,
1: wherever they might be. All right, Bruce, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else we need to add?
0: uh, uh can't think of anything. I think we've done pretty good. It's been fun talking.
1: All right. Thanks a lot, Bruce. All right. Talk to you later. Joe, do you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe? What? Princeton can use a guy like Joel. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. you made me very proud. I
0: was just thinking where we might be ten years from now, you know?